Welcome to the Wanting It More podcast. I am your host, Jana Denton-Howes, and it's an absolute delight to have you here. I'm a marriage and intimacy educator, as well as a creator of the Wanting It More program, which has helped thousands of women who are married to men want and enjoy it more in the bedroom. You know, having low desire was something that I personally struggled with for years in my marriage, so I absolutely get it all. You are not alone. Just a heads up, I use all the words in this podcast, so if you've got little ears around or you're in public setting, you may want to pop in some earbuds. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the Wanting It More podcast. I am really excited about this conversation. We just had a little bit of a pre-chat before we hit record, and we have a lot of wonderful themes to cover today. So thank you so much, Elle, for joining us on the podcast. I would love for you to give a little bit of an introduction, maybe how old you are, how long you've been married, that sort of stuff. So I just turned 50 which I'm so excited about because now I can take Tai Chi at our local senior center. I've been waiting for this for like 15 years. I'm the only person that's been wanting to be 50 since I was 35. But um, yes, and I'm in Northern California. I'm mar- I've am i been married for 25 years and I have three kids who are all currently in college. Mm. 25 years. It's a long time. It's a long time. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm at 23, but just 20, I think almost 24. Wow. Or maybe it's, I don't know. I can't remember. It you flies, know, doesn't it? It really does. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I love this because a lot of women will email me and ask, is it too late? I, You know, we've been developing these habits with our sex life and our marriage for this long. And, you know, you just finished this round of whim and it's been amazing to see your journey. What would you say to women who are feeling that way? Um, I, I totally understand that feeling because, you know, you're going to teach an old dog new tricks kind of thing. But I think it's actually really important for us. Our kids are like on the way out the door kind of thing. Right. And that's a really tricky time for a couple. You're really redefining each of your roles. And um, actually in Japan, they have travel specials, travel packages. They call it the, oh shoot, what's it called? I forgot. It's So you have the honeymoon and it's like, oh, I forgot the the word. It's like the new moon or something. It, It basically, it's like the end of your relationship because when men um, retire, there's this whole like re-reckoning of your position in the family and how it works. Cause in like your traditional family structure there, like the woman had the house to herself that she was in charge of. And the guy like went off to work and was in charge of that, <laughs> whatever he was in charge of. And then they have to, you know, so I think it it's actually really important for, you know, helping come to terms with that. And what's our relationship look like Now, just like, you know, for many of us, if you have children, like I'd imagine the relationship took on a totally different character after little children showed up. Right. So and it's not honestly probably going to go back to the way it was before kids. I think that's an unrealistic expectation. And Wim really opens up the doors for exploring that, what it could be, what you want it to be and how you can make that happen. Yeah, almost a a second stage or a third stage or a fourth stage or however you want to look at it, an opportunity to to redefine and relearn and 
come back to each other in a whole new level. What were your early days like around sex? Were you taught much during childhood? Did you, um, you know, let us know. <laughs> so I was a child of hippies. So was my husband. I was raised in the woods. You know, I probably was naked most of the time. <laughs> um, and uh, my parents were very um, open. You know, I saw both of my parents naked, you know, often. Uh, I knew what body parts were called, although I might have called them something that is not like anatomically correct. <laughs> might have been a slang word or two that started with P, but <laughs> um, but it was mine. Like I had a clear sense of ownership and there was no shame around it, which was great. Wow. But I think it also speaks to the power of culture because- yeah. Despite all of that, like I got a very clear sense that, you know, this was secret, this is private, this is something you don't talk about. Um, and it's hard actually during whim when we kind of like explore some of that. I had kind of a hard time. I I kind of was grieving. Um, you know, my father raised me to be a, a um self-confident uh, woman who felt a sense of ownership over herself and her life. And I really felt like I let him down, that I let down kind of like the sexual, the ideals of the sexual revolution, you know, that I was raised to be an empowered woman. And where did I lose that? Like, how did that happen? And that was, that was really hard to come to terms with. Um, so pretty open. Um, but I still, you know, had that sense of, you know, shame, privacy, secrecy um, from culture. And then as far as like early relationships. So I was first probably sexually active when I was 15 or 16. And I had a, a significantly older boyfriend. <laughs> So, um, and it was nice. It's funny. I think, um, I think I've always had what you would call quote unquote generous lovers, which sounds so nice. And yet in the frame of whim, you learn that we can do better. <laughs> we can do better than just generous lovers, I think. So now looking um, back, I think people listening are going to wonder, what does that mean? What what does better look like? Oh, better than a generous lover? Mm -hmm. Well, I think, um, for, so a generous lover is usually defined as somebody who is able to, uh, quote unquote, pleasure a woman, where pleasure is a verb that someone is doing to someone else, right? And bringing them to climax or to orgasm. And, you know, within whim, you learning the value of safety and of being able to direct with your own will, your own voice of what it is that is pleasing to you, what pleasure means to you. And it's not necessarily someone does to you. It's not necessarily something you even receive, right? It's something you experience and you might choose to share that with another person mm -hmm. but um 
I think now I would, <laughs> using the same term generous lover, I think the most generous thing you can do is allow someone the space to find what they truly enjoy and to direct you in making that happen while respecting their sense of, of safety. That's so fascinating that your father in particular taught you these things. Did he teach you that along those lines or was there something else that like what, you know, I'm absolutely, we know that culture is there and we're impacted and influenced. And I'm just so curious, what was it that he taught you that that you that d- didn't align with that, like that that didn't have you go into your first sexual experiences, directing and um, having, you know, just like you were talking about. So um, what's interesting, I was so I was sexually abused in my childhood, not by my father, <laughs> but by other men and by uh, a number of different people from the ages of like five to 10. And the one thing I actually want to mention about that, um, because one was a family member, one was like somebody's roommate, one was like uh, a babysitter's husband. I mean, a lot of different people. So I got like some messages from that experience. Number one, that men are not necessarily trustworthy. (laughs) Number two, that you know, things happen and you need to be a good girl and sit back and not say anything that it's secret. And so that when those things happen, that's not something you talk about. Right. But the one thing I did want to mention that was transformative to me, and this sounds so simple when I was 10, um, there was like a gardener or something that was driving by and I was doing some fundraiser walking by myself going door to door, selling candles or something. And um, he just, he kept following me, this gardener in his truck. And he just asked like, oh, can I walk with you? Or do you want to ride with me or something? And I freaked out and I ran home and I told my mom. And her response, she called the police right away. And the police came and they interviewed me and they went and they looked for him and they were like, we can't charge him with anything. But, um, you know, but the thing was, she handled it and it clearly showed me this isn't okay, and I can say no. And so the reason it ended when I was 10 was because I learned I can self-advocate. And I always said no after that. And it didn't happen anymore. So that was incredibly empowering, but yeah, so I learned that about that interaction, but I don't know that I learned that about, like, I think I learned I can choose who that happens with, but maybe not what it looks like. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. (laughs) There is some odd thing that happens when you get into more specifically committed relationships. I see that that cultural message that your bodies belong to each other, that to be a good wife you need to be open and yeah it's it's just it's very very strong in our culture and so <laughs> when is. i when i am saying you know consent still should be happening in all relationships even if you're married i mean even more so if you're married really in my opinion so yeah it's it's a theme i see very very frequently 
So when did you meet your husband? I met him the week before classes started our first year of college Mm -hmm. during orientation week. And we were very good friends for our first four years of college. And then we started going out. (laughs) And so after college, we actually lived in Japan. We worked for the Japanese government for three years and that's where we were married. And then, um, I just remembered it's called the full moon that like, yeah, the full moon, uh, travel package for, you know, uh, couples in their senior years. (laughs) Fantastic. I love it. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so that's where we had our, our honeymoon, not our full moon, (laughs) but, um, yeah. And then we came back to the U.S. Right when we landed, we thought we would like travel a whole bunch and everything. And that's when we found out that I was pregnant when I we had no jobs and no health insurance, which in the U.S. is a problematic thing. Um, <laughs> all of that stuff. So but yeah, it all turned out OK. <laughs> it did. Yes. Oh, gosh. Insurance. I mean, yeah, that's a whole other conversation, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and yes, what was your um, sexual relationship like in the early days? Um, I don't. You know, it's interesting because we went from being like best friends to it wasn't. It wasn't ever like firecrackers and you know lusty things you see on TV. Um. Yeah, we were always just very amiable, I guess, <laughs> which might be why the XD format kind of fits. But it's interesting that we never did like the XD format. Mm. XDs remind me of what I picture or what I heard about for young couples as like their first sexual experiences, right? When they're, or ideally maybe when they're first learning about each other and what they like and all of that. Yeah. And I feel like, especially if you come into a marriage where you both already have experience or you feel like you're supposed to have experience, um, I think you kind of skip over that. Like, you're like, oh, I know this works. This is how we do this. (laughs) So. Yeah, it becomes about some actions that you need to take rather than that yeah, curiosity, exploration, getting to know each other, slowing it down, not having goals. And, and the that, idea that it might change. It might change. Yeah. Let's let's hope it changes because we change as human <laughs> beings and <laughs> everything else changes. And yeah, but that media sex formula is just so strong that that's really what that we what we rush to. Yeah. And then, you know, so many women say, well, sex doesn't really feel, I just, I just did an episode about this. Sex doesn't feel like anything. Sex doesn't work oh. for me. Yeah. It's like, well, that doesn't work for you, what you're trying, because it doesn't work for most women. So, yeah. So what, um, what had you seek out support for your sex life then? Um, it was just, I think things really, really changed um, markedly after the birth of our second child, because 
I had a lot of tearing and I remember being terrified after the birth of our second child to think about penetration again. Like it was just so scary. Um, and I honestly don't know that I ever like got over that. <laughs> I almost feel like, you know, there was kind of a shift in me. And honestly, when you pair that with just the overwhelm that comes with being a parent of young children yeah. and, you know, walking through your whole day, especially, you know, I breastfed. So there's a very physical, visceral, um, like cost to your body if as a woman right you're you're carrying this child for so long went during childbirth you know things can happen uh, my first uh child uh was a cesarean birth and then my second and third were what they call VBAC which is a vaginal birth after a cesarean um and actually my third childbirth was uh there wasn't really any kind of trauma with that, but I would think I was already traumatized after the second. Mm -hmm. And the thing was when you have these young kids and life is like kind of crazy and you're just tired at the end of the day, that's usually when my husband wanted affection, right. And would want to in initiate intimacy, which usually meant sexual penetration. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just was tired. <laughs> I really wanted my sleep. <laughs> um, so I just had, I don't know, less interest. It just seemed like a chore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, how long ago was that? Um, with the, the birth of my second child or mm. uh, 22 years, 21 years. And um I, my, I, my husband says it's been like 15 years that I've been very disinterested, but it could also, I honestly think that just goes with pace of life of having young children. Yeah. Um, and did you talk so. to anybody about it during that time? No, no, we just never talked about it. And if, if we talked about it as a couple, like it, it would, it would leave, lead to these just very tense conversations, you know, and I would be feeling guilty and I couldn't really explain why, like I, I and I find out during whim that one of the things that I was experiencing is what people would call pain, <laughs> which you'd think uh, I know what pain feels like, but I'll be honest, you know, we had these conversations in whim about sex ed and what it looks like. And for the guys, they go in a separate room and they learn all about wet dreams and erections and all the fun stuff. And the girls go in a separate room and we learn about menstruation and cramps and childbirth and uh, STIs. <laughs> so, Pain. um but yeah, pain. And I would, you see it on TV, right? People will say out loud on TV, if it's a woman's first time, like, oh, this is going to hurt. Mm -hmm. You're, you are primed for it to hurt. And honestly, I, I don't know if that ever went away. I feel like whenever there was penetration, like it would, it would sting a little. 
And I just figured, well, that's what they tell you. That's, that's what happens. And um, as enjoyable as the experience might be, you know, as a whole, um, it would burn for like two or three days, Hmm. something like that. And the best way I could describe it to I've heard on your podcast, they talked about like a rub burn or like a burning sensation. Um, I was trying to explain it to my husband because once I finally mentioned this during whim, um, that, oh, this isn't normal. I didn't realize that. Um, he was asking, like, we tried penetration. He was like, oh, was that okay? And I was like, I won't know for a couple of days, like a day or two. Right. And he's like, really? And I said, yeah, it's kind of like a paper cut. Like you might notice right when it happens, but probably not. You'll notice later. So that's what it had always been like, hmm. like paper cuts. Paper cuts. <laughs> yeah. And never thought to mentioned to your husband in all those years in all that time and and we talk about a lot like we were best friends but again and when it came to the bedroom like we just weren't really comfortable talking about that stuff yeah yeah and so many men are really confused why don't women want to have sex this is great this feels great why why is she into it (laughs) is she not and especially right and especially you know if like I was having orgasms and it was enjoyable, but it was a real, um, like a risk benefit scenario, right? Like, okay, we could do this, but, and, and I would sit there weighing in my mind. Okay. Number one, I'm tired. This means how long is this going to take? Um, you know, I really want to go to sleep and I have to wake up and do this thing. Right. So it was a time thing. And then, okay, I do this and it's kind of enjoyable right now. I mean, it, it's pleasurable, but then I'm going to be dealing with this, you know, sore body for the next couple days. Like, is that worth it? I don't know, but maybe I'll do it for him because, you know, he clearly wants that. And, yeah, so I would, you know, put it off like so many women do. Uh, and it was probably like once a month. Maybe we'd stretch out to like six weeks or something. But and then, of course, you know, at that point, you're doing it out of like guilt or obligation or. Yeah, it's just it's just been too long. The clock is ticking and you need to do it. And then there's immediate relief afterwards. Like, oh, okay, that's over with. I don't do that for a while. (laughs) That's right. And that, that entered the cost benefit analysis, right? Like, okay, well, if I do it now, then that'll take care of that for, you know, you have the checkbox running in your mind. (laughs) Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Wow. And so you're still on your journey then since you just learned about this in whim or, or found the language to describe it. So yes. Yeah. I, we've, there's been a lot of great sharing in the community, diff- different resources and stuff. And and we do have a, an episode on this podcast actually with the pelvic floor physiotherapist who specializes in pelvic pain. So please go check that out. If you are looking for some, some solutions so earlier on in your journey, I remember you did a post about orgasms because we've already talked about that a little bit and how you were coming around to the idea that maybe sex didn't have to be defined by whether an orgasm happened or not, but 
you were a little bit concerned about whether your husband would get on board with that a new uh-huh. definition. How have things gone with that journey? Well, so the first time I brought it up, he, my husband kind of didn't know what to make of that. <laughs> He's like, well, if it's not about an orgasm, like, what is it about? Like, what? <laughs> and then, because um, that's, you know, that's culture talking, right? Um, and then, and then he thought about it a little more and he kind of said, well, okay, well, if orgasms aren't important to you, I mean, they're important to me, right? I, I don't know how I feel about that. Um, and I'm not, again, let's see, we don't, we haven't maybe talked as much as some, but like we've had more transparent and open conversations than we've ever had before, but we might not talk about this as much as some people do. <laughs> um, but he, uh, I mean, I guess I should ask him. I should ask him where he's at with that. But he has said like, he's fine with that. And when we were starting XDs, I kind of said, I would like to try not being involved in your orgasm for now. And he was like, okay. Hmm. And, and what does that mean for you? Because we kind of speak the same language, but those listening may not may not understand what you're saying. Yeah. So for me, I wanted there to be no expectation that, you know, during a sexual experience, I'm in charge of uh making sure that he has an orgasm or using any part of my body to make that happen, right? That he has his own body, that he can do whatever he needs or wants to do to have an orgasm if that's what he wants. And that I would like, I would prefer to be given the choice as to whether I'm part of that or not, whether that's, you know, physically with some part of my body or even with my presence. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has said yes. And, you know, we have had XDs where he has an orgasm um, or I have an orgasm or both. And we've had XDs where nobody has an orgasm. And I do want to point out, like, I remember listening to this podcast and I would hear about XDs and I would hear about them. Um, even when I was in WIM, but we didn't get to that part yet. And I'm like, what is this mythical XD? And it's so simple, but I do think the way you present it is so good at making sure that you're in a specific mental and emotional space Yeah. as you go into it. That I think anyone who's really, really wondering, I think you need to start saving up and just do the WIM program. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, maybe I'll try to do a brief summary just in case we have some new listeners here who haven't heard about exploration dates. And that's what X oh, yes. stands for, <laughs> exploration date. And it's an opportunity every week to explore pleasure and connection without any goals. And yes, there is a lot more that surrounds it because you need to have some almost like pillars in place for it to work. And you need to have compassion, safety, intuition, pleasure, and connection with your body. And those are this, the, 
five paths of whim. And then we have the, the sixth one is exploration, explore an intimate connection, which is exploration dates. So I've heard so many people say scheduling sex doesn't work. And I would agree. I don't think scheduling sex as it's defined by culture works. That just adds pressure and anxiety. I tried it for years and it's really, I would have meltdowns before the expected time <laughs> it was going to oh. happen. Yeah, mm. it was, it was pretty awful. So it, it really does require a, a big reframe from what we're used to defining as a sexual experience. Yeah. And I will say, you know, we tried scheduled sex and I loved it. I would look forward to it all. I mean, I would be getting that warm, tingly feeling all day wow. in anticipation um, but my husband, not so much. He really didn't like, you know, that it was scheduled like it was a chore. All, ironically, it felt less like a chore to me if it was scheduled. Um, but he wanted it to be spontaneous and all the things you see on TV, right? Like all the, you know, the groping enthusiasm. and the sweating and the yeah. ripping off clothes. And yeah. Yeah. So we both actually had to be in the right space to schedule XDs, right? Mm -hmm. on, on mutual understandings of what that was. So that's where those conversations came really, became really important. And do you know what changed for him with the framework of an XD? I think as his awareness, as he became more aware of the damage that what we were doing was doing to me, I mean, he cares about me, right? He want, I, he is a generous lover, right? He wants me to be happy. He wanted this to be an experience that we could both enjoy and find connection, right? But um, he was not aware of, and I, I think I was also not aware of the damage that these subtle things that we were doing because culture and the media sex formula told us like, that's what you do, right? Um, yeah, we didn't realize that the damage or the harm that that might be doing. Mm. Um, so I think, I think just, and, uh, honestly, like coming to appreciate, you know, the role that, you know, safety, I know that can be a triggering word, but, you know, coming to terms with the idea that safety doesn't necessarily mean that she's afraid of me physically fearing for herself but you know when you are dealing with sexual pain after penetration that it there is a certain like almost subconscious pain and fear right your body even though i wasn't scared my body was responding that way Right. Yeah, it's such a spectrum. And we're used to talking about safety on the very extreme end of the spectrum. But but it's it's any sort of tightness in your body or withdrawal or icky feeling or just something off putting that is on the spectrum of not feeling safe. Yeah. One aspect of exploration dates that is really important is the concept that that every time is an opportunity for learning rather than labeling it like a success or a failure that was a you know a hot experience and that and that <laughs> one wasn't and i feel like you've been really you really grasped that concept and you know it's been such a joy to 
be able to read your reflections and what you learned. And I've noticed that even when other women share their reflections, you almost do like a little summary of their learning in the comments. And it's been so wonderful. What have you learned about learning along this journey? Um, it's just, I, I think reframing, you know, the focus to being on what you can glean from this experience, it makes that experience precious in and of itself. So it's kind of a, a nice strategy, right? For, for measuring, because if you're not always having an orgasm, and you're not always even maybe feeling great at the beginning or end, right? My first XD, I was crying. My first XD. And yet, that's I what do they call that? Like emotional shedding? Like I it I felt so much better after that. And I think I had to go through that in order to enter into XDs in as a more complete person. Right. I like kind of had to deal with that. Um, so when when it's so variable, when sometimes you're crampy and on your period, or sometimes you're in a bad mood, or you just had a fight, or anything like that, you know, you yeah, measuring it as a, as a success or a failure isn't really helpful. But when you're looking to how you can grow with this person or grow yourself, um, I think you're, it's, you're just more likely to appreciate that experience. Mm. I know I'm putting you on the spot, but do you, do you have in your, your brain, any of the learnings that you have had? Um, well, I know there was one that you were really interested, uh, that caught your eye and that was, um, one of the times. So <laughs> during one of the calls, Jana said that we can start with the penis if we want to. And so I did. I was like, you know, there doesn't have to be a ramping up. There doesn't have to be, you know, all the, what they call foreplay or whatever. And I was like, you know what? Fine. I'm going to talk. And I, you talked about having a conversation with the penis. I don't know that I had a conversation with it, my husband's penis, but I did sort of go, okay, I'm going to start with the penis. Like, I'm curious. Let's mm -hmm. see how this goes. And I've always kind of liked my husband's penis, but I didn't like ugh, fetishize it. And I didn't, you know, not in the ways that like most men would like their quote unquote women to like their penises, right? <laughs> but <laughs> with this experience, like, so what I, I just ended up kind of like snuggling and nuzzling his penis. And I wasn't even like interacting with my husband and his face or seeing how he was responding or any of that. It was like just me coming to terms with this organ of his, right? That you would think I would already have an intimate relationship with, which I kind of do, mm -hmm. but I honestly just didn't really pay that much attention, right? But this was my chance to kind of like uh, interact with his penis on my terms and in a way that I enjoyed, that brought me pleasure. So I didn't even think about touching it in a way that he would like, right? It was kind of like, oh, OK, 
okay, this part's soft, this part's smooth, this part's silky. It wasn't with the goal of like getting turned on or anything like that. It really was just kind of a reckoning. And it was such like a cozy, snuggly vibe instead of, you know, what you might see on TV. Mm -hmm. But it was really kind of healing. And it was, uh, it really cultivated a certain um, affection in me towards, you know, this part of him that traditionally had all these other meanings, right, from culture. Yeah. And I can imagine someone listening right now, not having been in the (laughs) framework of whim and thinking, well, what is he doing? You know, what is, what is the man doing at this point? Do you feel pressure because he has an erection and you need to do something about, or, you know, you maybe gave him one and now what's your duty to that? And just, I think maybe could could you give the listener a little bit of context around how that was possible for you? Yeah. So we had set up, you know, an agreement in advance and we kind of go over like what our agreements are going in. Um, and so the agreement in, in advance was that I didn't necessarily want to be part of his orgasm, but we also talked about if an orgasm happens, that's not necessarily the end of XD. And whoever that person is, they're in charge of cleaning it up. That's brilliant. <laughs> I'm, I'm, we have the same agreement and I love it. <laughs> but then we also have, you know, a number of other things. And we found, you know, one of our early XDs, um, I was looking for, you know, we talk about reassurances and whim. And I was looking for reassurances, you know, like, you know, if you're doing something and he starts like kind of grinding his hips, right? I would say, okay, no escalating. And then he, this was early days, right? Still is. And he would kind of get defensive. Well, I wasn't trying to escalate. I wasn't, you know, and saying all kinds of things. And I was like, just shush. Like, (laughs) you don't need to do all this talking. You're wasting time. (laughs) But um, we ended up, kind of doing like a call and response, right? Like, I don't need a whole essay about what you're doing or what you're not doing or any of that. Like, I just need to hear that you acknowledge that I'm saying no escalating and you say no escalating. And then we just move on, like not a big deal. And there was the whole thing of like, when I ask for reassurance, it's for me, it's not to see if you were listening. I'm not, it's not like a test right? It's just, I need to hear there's no escalating. And he would say no escalating. And it's like, oh, that's nice. But I need to hear it again. (laughs) No escalating that it's for me. It's not necessarily for him. So um, yeah, because I think a lot of people think if I ask it or, you know, if I ask it or want that call and response once, I can't have it again because I've done it once and to that was even a stretch to ask that and now don't be greedy (laughs) right but that's not the case I mean if it's pleasurable and it's connecting then for goodness sakes let's do it as much as we want yeah well and that was the thing was just letting him know that when I say it again it's not that you did it wrong it's not in judgment 
It's just, I, it's my request. I need to hear this so that I know we're on the same page. Mm-hmm. And so with that in mind, you know, there was kind of this no escalating. If an erection happens, it happens, but it's not my responsibility um, to like see it through or take care of that or anything. Um, and uh, he was, the request was that he just kind of sit back um, and I did actually, I, this is a little ironic, but I mean, I, I kind of reviewed consent with him. I was like, you know, if I'm doing anything that makes you feel uncomfortable, I want to make sure, you know, you can say like, that doesn't feel good or I'm not crazy about that or right. Like you get a, cons- a say as well. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and he was like, oh no, that's just fine. <laughs> that's usually what we find. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But um, he also said, but I'm allowed to enjoy it, right? And I was like, oh, yes, you can enjoy it as much as you like, right? And I also don't have the expectation that he's like suppressing an orgasm or that he feels like responsible that way either. Like I'm not responsible for his erection, but he's not necessarily responsible either. Like it just, it just happens. And you know, it's like, oh, here's a penis with a re- an erection or, oh, here's a penis without an erection. And there doesn't, we don't need it one way or the other. It just is. It becomes neutral. Right. Yeah. Yep. That's wonderful. That, yeah, that when I did that with my husband's penis as well, and it, it was such a wonderful process I I may have had a little bit more of a hostile negative relationship with it than you beforehand (laughs) (laughs) and I I had a lot more sort of yelling to do at it um but then over time it it is really lovely to be good friends with that part of his body and I really love seeing women being able to do that and and also I'm recognizing that not everyone is able to do that because you really do need that level of safety and reassurance in order to um, develop that new relationship. Yep. Yeah. Well, um, I have pretty much worked through the questions that I wanted to ask you. (laughs) Was there anything else that you wanted to share before we closed out our conversation? Um, I can't, um, I can't think of anything. Other than just, you know, if if there's anybody out there that's been listening to this podcast but hasn't done the program and is really wondering, like, what is this magic thing or what is it worth trying? Maybe this is something you can do it yourself. Um, and I understand it's a financial commitment. It's a time commitment. It's an energy. It's an emotional commitment for sure. Um but it is so worth it. And um, I know that, you know, I was on the other side where I was just listening as well. Um, I found the podcast. I didn't listen to it for long before I participated. I do hear of women who listen for like a year or two before they do the program. Um, and they're real, the, you know, you give so much great information in the podcast and it is so helpful to hear from this variety of voices, but being part of the community as you walk through the journey is um, really priceless, like connecting with the other people in the group. 
um, who are right where you are, you know, whether you realize it or not, like you might not pick them out (laughs) at first, (laughs) but you find you have a lot of uh, common ground. Thank you so much, Elle, for coming on the podcast and sharing your journey with us. I know it does take some courage and, and really thank you from the bottom of my heart. And also thank you for, for your amazing support in the community. You um, it was always such a joy to read your contributions and to see the amount of encouragement that you offered other women. So thank you so much. It's been a joy to spend this hour with you. And thank you to everyone who listened and uh, we'll talk to you in the next one. Bye for now. If you've enjoyed this episode, I have a favor to ask of you. It's really hard to get the word out about a podcast about sex. What would really, really help is if you would leave a rating and a review. And I know that you get asked this all the time in different podcasts, but please, I beg you, it would really, really help so that more women who need this message will hear it. All you have to do is go into your Apple podcast app. It's the purple icon. And if you go to the podcast page where it shows my face, and has a little button that says latest episodes. If you scroll down past the episodes and you get to a section called ratings and reviews, there's a little purple writing thing that says write a review. If you click on that, it will ask you to give it a five stars. Actually, you can put any stars, but five is what I would love. And put a title and then write your review. Thank you so much for supporting this little venture here and I really am so grateful. If you are curious about wanting it more and how this program could help you want and enjoy sex more with your husband and you feel like it may be a great next step for you, you can go to janetdentonhouse.com slash wanting it more to sign up for the waitlist, to learn more, to see when we're running our next round. All right, that's it. I'll see you next one.